You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and today I'm joined for the first time ever by the head honcho himself, editor-in-chief of Pounding the Rock, J.R. Wilco. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. And, and it's odd because we've never met each other in person, so this is really cool. We're here on Zoom. We're recording this on Zoom. I'm getting to see you. It's almost like meeting you for the first time, but I'm really excited to talk Spurs basketball with you. So whenever you're ready to just hop into things, you let me know and we'll get going. Yeah, not for lack of trying, right? We've, we've tried to, to meet in person, <laughs> just haven't, haven't gotten it to work out. We've talked to each other so often, it's like I know you. Um, well, no, we know each other. We internet yeah. know each other. Yeah, that works. Yeah, Yeah, I'm ready. Let's dig in. Awesome. So just so the listeners know, we're recording this podcast on Saturday, November 20th at about 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. But let's go ahead and start with San Antonio's most recent matchup against the Minnesota Timberwolves. What were some of your... <laughs> it was it was a rough game. We know that they lost by 25. It was their biggest loss of the season. What were some of your takeaways from that game? I have plenty of my own, but I'd love to get a few of yours from that game. You know what? So I'm going to wax philosophical here. I don't think that you can take away uh, from a game like that where everything goes wrong for the Spurs and everything goes right for the for the for the other team. I mean, like certainly, certainly they're 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 they're. I'm mean, like you can always get better, um, and I'm sure the coaches <laughs> are talking to them about that game. And what a horrible game to end that stretch on because there's three days off. Anybody who's ever been on a sports team knows, man, when you have a when you have a loss, you want a game the next day. Sometimes you want a game like as you're leaving the stadium. Let's just stay here and play our next game. <laughs> but you want a game the next day. You want a game as quickly as possible. When you lose a game the way they lost to Minnesota, uh, like which you actually probably have a star next to your schedule as we should be beating these guys, or this is like one of our best chance best chances for uh for a win. Um, you know, in this stretch of games, when you lose like that, and then you've got three days off, and it's not just the three days off, you got to live through the fourth day before you get to play at the end of that. <laughs> it's four days, right? Man, I mean, like you do, that's uh, nobody's having any fun. Um, and so that's that, that's the worst. All right. Anyway, so waxing philosophically, I don't think there's a whole lot to take away as a fan from a, from a, from a loss like this, because that game wasn't representative of who the Spurs are, and it certainly wasn't representative of, of who the Timberwolves are. Uh, that was that was them at their absolute best, and hopefully this is that was the Spurs at their worst. So, like when stuff like that happens, I'm like, I'm I'm all for like throwing stuff out. Like that's not who Dejounte Murray is, right? I mean, we've we've come to know who he who he is this season over the course of games, not over the course of a single game. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, the thing that I thought was sort of apropos, and it sort of worked out perfectly, not for the Spurs, obviously for the Timberwolves, but before the game, Popovich said something along the lines of, we're lucky we have DeJounte Murray. We would be in trouble if we didn't have DeJounte Murray. And of course, he comes out, he lays his first dud of the season. And I'm not mad at him for that. If you're a Spurs fan, you're mad at him for that. You, I, I don't know what to tell you. He's been great all year. He hasn't been perfect. I don't think he's in an ideal role for who he is, but he's been great all year. 
He didn't get any help outside of Devin Vassell. But I, I just want to know, what is your opinion? I mean, I've asked everybody who's come on here, what is their opinion of DeJounte Murray? Like, is he the guy who you would build around now? Or is he one of the pieces who you build around? Not necessarily the guy. So let, let me get your opinion on that. Yeah, so I've got opinions on DJ. First and foremost, like when I, when I, when I think of DeJounte Murray, the first thing I think of is this amazingly long fan post that this guy wrote about DeJounte <laughs> right after he was drafted. And it was like, why DeJounte? Like, it was, it was, it was brutal, man. <laughs> it was something like, why DeJounte Murray will never be anything in the NBA. It was something like that. And, and it wasn't, I know, I know, but it wasn't like just some, you know, screed. It wasn't like this dude's fit manifesto. This was well-researched. This guy, this guy knew chapter and verse on DeJounte's game, you know, uh, talked about um, the number of NBA players who had gone on to have any level of success with um, a field goal percentage, with the turnover percentage and with, uh, uh, you know, finishing inside the restricted area percentage that DeJounte Murray had. And there weren't any. (laughs) And the closest analogs to him we're all like these like bottom of the league guys who'd played like a season, a season and a half, two seasons at most. And, and the guy was just absolutely ripping on him. And, and I remember reading that and, and thinking, wow, if the Spurs coaches turn this guy around, what is this going to mean? And so when his, when his uh, jumper started falling, when his turnover rate started going down, when he got a better dribble, uh, last year when he started finishing around the rim. Noah, I don't know if you know this. Guys who don't finish around the rim well don't get <laughs> better. And oh, they I know. sure yeah. don't get better in one season. And it's like the guy flipped the switch. It's like, I'm like, I, that was the that was the thing. I'm like, I kept on having a thing. Well, it, it's not gonna be it's not gonna matter at all if you can't hold on to the ball. And he stopped turning the ball over. Well, it's not going to matter if he's not going to be able to make a jump shot. He started making jump shots. Well, that's not going to matter until he can make some shots around the rim. And he makes shots around the rim. So all of those things, I mean, I'm I'm done thinking, well, guys, guys aren't able to X, Y, Z. I can't do that to DJ anymore because he's shown the ability to add on parts of his game and not just parts of his game, parts of his game that guys simply don't add on to, right? It was like... Um, when, remember when Blake Griffin came into the league and jumping out of the gym, but couldn't hit a free throw. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, I remember a story going that like big men coming into the league who don't shoot free throws. There's like two guys who, and I, I want, I want to say it was Chris Weber and Carl Malone, although Carl Malone might've been a pretty good free throw shooter in college. I, I can't remember, but there were two guys who are like, are you really going to bank on Blake Griffin becoming the third guy in NBA history to be able to, well, he did, <laughs> right? Well, he did. He turned himself into a good free throw shooter. And that's where DJ is. His ability, like if you want to say that anything about him is elite, his ability to add on portions of his game that guys just don't add on. I'm like, I'm, I'm sky high on him. As far as where you put him, man, like I'll tell you where you put him right now. You put him front and center because he's your best wing and he's definitely your best ball handler. Um, and, you know, like depending on, on, on where it sits at the end of the season with, with Jakob and, and 
like the way that Jakob was playing, you know, before he before he had to take a break. Uh, I mean, like it it could be one two, it could be one one a. Maybe Jakob winds up being a little bit more productive this this season, but uh, at the end of the season, uh, but like for right now, you put him front and center, and then you find out where the rest of the guys fill in, and 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 you work from there. Yeah, I like DeJounte Murray a lot. I've talked about him on the show. I've talked about him on Twitter spaces that I do all the time with Spurs fans. I talk about him on Twitter. I talk about him on Pounding the Rock. And I love DeJounte Murray, and I say this every time. I don't want to take anything away from him, but I continue to go back to he's just not in a role that's optimized for him. And I think that's fine because the Spurs don't have anyone else. He's the de facto go-to guy. They have not built around DeJounte Murray. How could he be in a role optimized for him? Oh, absolutely. He's not in anything close to what would be considered uh, an uh, uh, the this, the best situation for him because, well, look at the team. Probably where he's best suited is maybe your third best guy. I, I like DeJounte a lot, but you look at his numbers this year, and numbers aren't everything. You have, also have to mix it in with the film, and you have to mix it in with context. But the only place that he's above average in terms of shooting from the field this year is at the rim, which is insane. He's shooting over 70% from the rim. And that's about where most big men finish. For, for Just for reference, Jakob Pertl finishes 70% of his shots at the rim. And now DeJounte Murray's doing that. And it's unfortunate because it's not a perfect context for DeJounte Murray to shine. But I still think looking at his game, he's not a guy who gets to the rim at will. Like he finishes really well at the rim, but he doesn't have a ton of attempts there. He re- shoots really well from mid-range, and that's why I think he's eventually going to get back to that as we get through the season. But he's not the guy, I think, who can run your team. Now, you mentioned Jakob Pertl. He finally came back after that seven-game absence. The Spurs missed him a ton. Did you think he looked all right, or, or you, did you expect what you saw from him on that night, right? I mean, he was gone for seven games, COVID protocols. He also had the, the competition reconditioning. What did you think of his game back, and are you concerned that this is going to be a lingering thing? Because I'm not going to guarantee it is. You know, We don't know that for a fact that he had COVID, but guys like Jason Tatum, who had COVID over a year ago, are still complaining that, look, I'm not back to 100%. Yeah. Well, you know, I had it too, and it'll 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 wipe you out, man, um, <laughs> uh, for sure. So, I think I think I think it's probably an exception to have a guy still complaining about it that 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 long afterwards. So let's that I mean, as fans, we hope for the best of the team. Obviously, let's hope for the best with with Jakob and and hope that. You, like he'll round back into shape and then you know let's say right middle of december uh maybe by the maybe by the christmas games he's he's playing you know about where he was uh when he when he dropped off because if it takes longer than that for him to to get back to that level then i mean like the long the long-term success of this season is at jeopardy and when i say the long-term success i'm judging by the by pop getting that number Right. That is that is success <laughs> for this team. That is they're going to talk about, you know, like like recalculating, recalculating <laughs> <laughs> like when you when you miss a turn on your GPS recalculating. Right. That's what that's what the season <laughs> is doing right now. Right. There's a little dot, dot, dot before it tells where it tells the Spurs what to do next until we find out whether Jakob's going to be healthy, because without him, I don't I don't think they make that number. Do you think he do? Okay, let me let me ask you this. then. do you buy into the numbers that he was putting up 
before he got hurt. Like, do you think that's who he is? I firmly believe that's Jakob. Jakob is that guy. I'm not saying he's a star or anything, but he is one of the elite rim protectors in the league. He can pass the ball really well out of short roll situations. He is just a great screener. He's got a great feel for the game. And I feel like that's that's realistic to expect from Jakob, and I hope we see it sooner than later. But, you know, he only played, I think, what, 15 minutes in the first game back, so we'll have to give him time to readjust. No big deal. It's not like he was lighting lighting the world on fire from three right before he left, right? <laughs> he was having Jakob hurdle games. He was bringing it. He was, he was, he was bringing on defense. He was, he was, he was scoring the kinds of baskets he needs to be able to score. And he was shutting things down around the rim uh, and, and getting rebounds. That's a Yaka Pertle game. That's uh, yeah. He was absolutely playing within himself. Um, and I, and I, and I, I really hope that he's able to get back to that within, within a month. Me too. And, and one of the other guys I want to talk about with you is Devin Vassell. I love Devin Vassell. I think everybody knows I love Devin Vassell. Devin Vassell, he had 18 points in that game off the bench. He was pretty much the only guy outside of maybe a few of the bench guys who played a couple of minutes, didn't make a huge impact, but who really stepped up and had a good game. Like, he had a really good game from them, and it's become more and more routine for him to chip in, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18. He's taking that sophomore jump where a lot of sophomores have the sophomore slump. What do you think of Devin Vassell and... And we'll we'll also mix Derek Wyden here. He hasn't played very well. Is it time? <laughs> One at a time. One at a time. Let's talk Devin. Um, yeah, it's just like shades of shades of Gervin, right? Like Gervin is who I who I think of with him. I'll tell you the most. I think the most impressive thing I saw from Devin this year, his twenty point game. I watched every. I went back and watched every play that he was involved in, good and bad. And at the end of it, I was like, was that 20 points? <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, like a couple of threes, a couple of mid-range jumpers, uh, a steal, an assist or two, a rebound or two, and some free throws. It was like the most ho-hum 20-point game I, I, I may have ever witnessed or, or recently witnessed. And I was like, what happens when they put the ball in his hands? I, I I'm like... When a guy can score 20 and you only watch his scores, well, except for the stuff that he assists, and you come away going, was that really 20 points? It seems like it seems like less than that. It just it's it obviously obviously it's not the same as the eye test when you're watching the game, but um there is there is a there is an effortlessness to his game which stars must have. Uh, it's something we'll talk about later, I'm sure, it, uh, on this podcast. But the, uh, a 48-minute game is too long to go all out every single play. Can you score efficiently, effectively, without making these big, huge, amazing efforts in order to to, to get there? Uh, obviously, other guys are getting to uh, sell the ball when he's standing at the three-point line, and all he has to do is shoot. Right. That's that's what that's what Spurs newbies have been doing for 20 plus years. Right. <laughs> they stand in the corner and shoot, stand in the corner and shoot. Well, um, he, he doesn't just do that. Obviously, he's got the mid range game. He's got a good couple dribble move, single dribble move. Uh, he's able to make his way to the basket when when necessary. He's got all of the uh, the defensive accolades that, that we could we could crow about forever. Uh, the way he gets the steals and layups, 
the way he makes it difficult for his man to get to his spots. He's definitely getting the Spurs brain trust download as far as that defensive mind is concerned. Just like practically everything about him, the way he carries himself is just so chill. Um, and you know what? He can he can glide a little bit like Irvin right now. I mean, like, I like to see a little <laughs> finger roll. So that's, I mean, like I'm I'm so high on Devin. I, I love I love the fact that I keep on having to remind myself he's a sophomore, right? <laughs> I mean, I keep like like he makes a move, he makes a play, and it's like, wait a second, is he re- is this really just his second year? It is. That's beautiful. Whatever I'm having to like remind myself because the because he'll make plays that seem beyond that. Definitely. And I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I did a lot of draft content for us a, a year ago when he was in the draft yes. and he was one of my favorite guys. Uh, yep. Number four on my big board, I thought, you know, maybe he's not a superstar. And, and, and a lot of guys aren't. There's not I very remember many the of text. those guys. I remember the text. Oh, oh, he's number four. oh look at that. Yeah. I remember, it was like draft night was a lot of text. It was fun. I was so excited. A lot of Spurs fans were excited about him. And he's finally getting an opportunity to show why he had that odd COVID year where you know, rookies didn't get a chance to go through a normal training camp. They didn't get a chance to have a lot of practices. He was thrown into the fire. Derek White was hurt. He was thrown into the fire. He didn't play a ton. I mean, he played regularly, but not a ton. And this year, the opportunities have come. He knows the system better. He's more confident in himself. And it's showing. And I absolutely love everything that he's doing game in and game out. Even when he doesn't have great offensive games, the defense seems to be there regardless. And and I love that because you have to be able to impact the game in some way. And I think this is a, a decent transition into talking about Derek White, a guy who, to me, he still impacts the game defensively. He's been one of the best defenders, but he's had a rough start offensively. What do the Spurs do to get him going again? If it was just the shooting... There's like there's there's a number of things like just the, spend time with Chip, but there there are things there are things and I'm seeing people, you know, come down on him really hard. Um, when I think about when I think about Derek White, especially when I when I see uh, his his numbers in the pick and roll dip, that's like guys don't forget how to run the pick and roll, they don't. Um. So the first thing I think is, man, his body's not right. He's playing through it. He'll get there. But when you look at his defensive numbers, he's still defending at a high level. Guys who aren't right physically, their defense falls apart before their offense because you know what you're doing on offense, right? So this is a this is a puzzler for me. I don't I don't get this. Like the like the like the logic of this doesn't quite add up. And I and I love Derek. I I, I love him to death. Uh, I think I think he's a terrific player. I think he's more the player. I think he is the player that we've seen rather than the player that we are seeing. And I expect to have the old Derek back. I don't know what's going on. Um, like there's 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 tons of theories out there about precisely what's happening i don't think anybody knows but derek and maybe his family and probably the spurs right you put the spurs in there right it's it's more of a family conversation than it is (laughs) that is an interview question right um so yeah i mean i wish that i had a great theory at this point i guess i guess the only theory that i have is i expect him back 
And 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 I think the first thing that I'll that 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 I'll see is probably not the shooting, but actually the ball handling, the offense running. Um, if he's still shooting poorly, but his numbers in the pick and roll go up, his numbers running offense, his assist numbers, his assist to turnover ratio, if all of those no, if those three numbers turn around first, then I'll be like, yeah, everything else is is just uh, just right around the corner. That's that's the first thing that I'm going to be looking for. And I think that's fair. And I don't want to speculate too much, but it does feel like a confidence thing a little bit. You know, it, it, when you have a rough start, a lot of that is confidence. I mean, for a lot of these players, you see, you know, confidence is going, they're hot, they're playing well. And Marilyn mentioned it last time she was on here, but he's a historically slow starter. And I went, okay, I think that's true, but let me go look into the numbers. Let's see if that's true. So I looked at last year. The first 13 games of last year, he averaged 12 points per game, roughly, on about 39% shooting. Through the th first 15 games here, he's averaging at about 11 points per game on about 39% shooting. So maybe he turns it around because for the rest of the year, he averaged about 45, uh, 85 from the, uh, from the free throw and then about 36 from three. So he turned things around. So maybe he does. Maybe he just needs to figure out how to turn things around. And one thing that I thought, I don't know if I'm on board with this, and I've been fighting back against it with Spurs fans who've been telling me, hey, you know, you need to move him to the bench. He needs to be there. I still think he's fine in the starting lineup, but what do you think? Is, is that something that the Spurs should think about trying? Should they move him into the second unit, see if he can get going against lesser players with less competition for primary on-ball touches with DeJounte, or just leave him in the starting lineup, let him figure it out? The interesting thing about saying you, you should move him to the starting lineup on the Spurs Manu Ginobili was this was was on the bench for so long because they needed him there, knowing that that Pop learns lessons from his opponents, from from other other teams in the league, from like the way that he's coached the team all, all these years. There's not a there's there's not anything in me that thinks that being on the bench or being a starter is, is going to make that much of a difference if the guy's getting the minutes that he needs for, for that game, for that stretch, for the way he's playing, for what the team needs from him. So like Mata Ginobili wasn't starting for a really, really long time and could have, right? He, his job was to lead the second unit. So the question is what, what, what is the second unit made up of now? And is it going to help or hurt the second unit more having him versus running the way that they're doing now? Well, the, like this, like the, the reserves are like one of the best benches in, in the league. The reserves are getting them back in, into, uh, into games now. So, I mean, it, it almost becomes, Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. It's always more about the way that the group group gets to understand each other to play together, the 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 consistency, the continuity, than it is anything else. That's why um, Pop would regularly take the third string point and put him in for Tony when Tony was hurt. Let's not mess with the. Let's not mess with the chemistry. The reserves need to stay who the reserves are. Don't take your second, second best guard and throw them into the starters. 
because that'll mess with both units. Give as much consistency, as much continuity for the reserves as possible. Leave him alone and take the third string and put him up with the starters. It's not saying that he's a starter. It's saying that the, the four starters are going are gonna to be helping out whoever's up there, whether it's the second string guy or the third string guy. And so because it's about continuity, I think you're far less likely to see anybody get moved around. Man, how about this? You think it's a confidence thing? Well, then why in the world would you consider moving him to the bench? You're going to hurt his confidence even more by like, what, I'm not a starter now? What, like, like all those things being thought of. And I'm not saying that you're advocating that. It's just like people are so quick to like pull, oh, pull him. I'll tell you the one thing that I wanted was Jakob starting, right? I wanted Jakob starting way longer than before he did. But now that he's starting and now that he's there and we see that we see where he is, I can't fault them for not doing that sooner. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, and again, like I, I'm a guy who wants to leave Derek in there. I want to see him see if he can get back on track. You're not winning either way. But I think you could also argue like you're not winning either way. It doesn't really matter. Um, continuity matters when you're winning and you're and you're trying to preserve championship uh, pedigree. But the Spurs aren't there anymore. They haven't made the playoffs in two years. It looks like it's going to be a third straight year. They're four and eleven. You're the third worst team in the Western Conference by record. I don't know if you're literally by by talent um, and how well they've played at times, but. You know, what What do they have to lose? I think is a lot of people's opinion. I don't really think that's my opinion. I still want to see Derek White have a chance because, look, he he earned it, I think, right? And I know that it's – I'm sure people roll their eyes when they say he earned it. But I think that's probably the same reason that we see guys like Drew Eubanks and Bryn Forbes play when, you know, other guys could be playing. And, and let's, talk, let's talk about that because that's something that – I've taken a particular interest in. I think some people want to continue to throw Bryn Forbes under the bus as though him playing 12 minutes per game really matters. Um, I don't think that it's affecting the outcome of games. Like, I think him playing 12 minutes per game doesn't matter that much. But what does matter to me is that he is playing 12 minutes per game because you're still one of the worst three-point shooting teams. Your spacing hasn't been that good. They've run him off the three-point line the last couple of games. Why not give minutes to Trey Jones? Why not give minutes instead to from Drew Eubanks, who has this season been a net negative to a guy like Thaddeus Young who he you just acquired him via trade it's his last year of his contract he's not going to be here long term so if you want to do something with his trade value and you don't want to buy out a player for the fourth straight year why not why not play him it's not like the team has done has gone out of their way to keep from putting themselves in a situation where these questions are being asked right they were asked last year uh, like why trade for a guy and just leave him on the bench? It doesn't seem to make any sense. And yet like, it's a trend now, right? It happens once happens twice. It happens three times. It's a trend. And, and it, like they've, they've played. I love Thaddeus. I, I, I love the way the offense operates with him out there on the court. Love it. I love seeing gorgeous backdoor passes. I love seeing lead passes that the that the guy who's getting the pass is sprinting to get because it's out there in space. That's so much fun. I know that if I pass this, you will run to go get it. <laughs> um, that's beautiful basketball. It's 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 what uh, it, it's my favorite kind of basketball to watch. So of course I'm going to want him out out there on the court. Uh, we're not behind closed doors. We don't know why these decisions keep on getting made. What it what is the trend uh, and how do you break it? Uh, I couldn't say, but I'll tell you that I'll tell you the trend that's the bigger of any of these is like losing basketball. We're in a third season of that as well. And and how long how long does that take us 
well, losing basketball, not making the playoffs at least, right? How long does it take the team to get the to get together? Well, you got to get the talent there. And I just don't think that the talent, you said, well, if you if that's the best way to judge, I'm not sure that that's the best judge of talent. That's it, the only judge of talent. It's the, well, not, it's not the only judge. It's the only objective judge of talent is the record. And, and right now, right now, I guess, I guess I could say that I think the Spurs are a little bit better than their record, but that's just because Jakob was out for seven games. He's a starter and he changes the defense when he's out there. He is a game changer for this team. I think the team's probably closer to 400 than they are to 300, but they're not even playing 300 ball right now. So, but that's because they've been without one of their, for their main players. I think they'll play from, from, from the time that Jakob is healthy, if they stay healthy this year, I think from that point to the rest of the season, they'll they'll play right at 400 ball. I think that's uh, that's probably pretty fair. I, I again, I I was the guy who said they probably are going to win 33, 34, 35 games. I think that that's achievable. You look at their record so far, and, and I we can talk about this a little bit later. I know you wanted to talk about something in particular. We had talked about it, uh, you know, before we got on here about the the season sort of being a marathon and not a sprint and and the Spurs are probably a little bit better than their record are so I'd love to give you an opportunity to talk about a little bit about that and we can go back and forth on that and we can exchange ideas about that well man I think I've probably said something like this before I I think I've probably written something like this before but uh you know my biggest pet peeve of this season is is people saying that the Spurs just need to learn how to win, especially with all of the close games. And and for me, the biggest issue is close games in the NBA are a result of being good enough to earn the other team's best shot, right? Losses in one close game after another means you're not as good as the other team once they're finally giving full effort, Right. And I've, I've, I've got a, a conversation with what teams don't give full effort every game. Well, shoot, unless your name is Manu Ginobili or <laughs> Patty Mills or Matthew Delvadova, right? You're pacing yourself, right? And I can make a case that, that Manu paced himself, right? Because how many times did we see him make a bad play and then immediately turn around and go make a steal or uh, like, like, <laughs> Uh, throw down this big, huge block or, or or come back down on the floor and then score three times in a row. The guy had another level when he knew he needed it, but he was constantly hustling, right? Um, 82 games is just too long a season to give, to treat every single game like it's your last. 48 minutes is too long a game to play every single play 100%, Right? Teams pace themselves, players pace themselves. Michael Jordan talked about this forever, right? I get it going. I, I, I see the way the rest of my team is playing. And I find out what is going to be required of me in this game. Why is he asking that, that himself that question unless he's pacing himself, right? Unless he's finding out, hey, where do I need, to, where do I need to fit in this game? What does my team need from me in this game? And like, you can watch LeBron do it too. If he, like, he assists on such a high percentage over his career of three pointers from the rest of his teammates that he literally raises the three point uh, field goal attempts and percentage 
of every single group that he plays with. What does that mean? Hey, look, if these guys are hot and they're killing it, I don't have to work so hard this game. And believe me, LeBron knows what it means to carry a team. He played for those Cavs teams that they first uh, first drafted him, right? So, so absolutely, like teams. I think I think my I think my classic example of this is when Pop sent home Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and Danny Green in 2012 against the against the Heat in Miami in the big fine game, right? They find they, they got fined because they weren't. Those guys weren't on the injury report. They weren't hurt, and they were resting that game. And what did the team play? What did San Antonio do in Miami? They led most of the game. It was all the way down to like the last five minutes of uh, of the fourth quarter, and then suddenly Miami was like, "Well, the only way we're winning this game is if we actually try." And then the Spurs couldn't score for like the last. I mean, they could like barely get the ball up the court because the talent disparity was so much and Miami was coasting to see, Hey, maybe somebody will get hot from, from, from deep close NBA games are like playing against your brother in the backyard. <laughs> right. Right. You play the first to 10 and, and you're like, okay, well, I'll, I'll give you some space. Are you going to, are you going to hit that shot today? Or are you going, you never hit that shot. Look at him. You're, look at you, you're hitting 15 footers. Look at you. You're hitting 18 footers. It's different when it's nine to nine, man. You were ding him up. You were, you were checking the ball in and you were in his grill going, man, if you score on me, then you were going to really earn that. And that's the way that NBA teams are. Uh, and that's what's happening. The, the Spurs don't need to learn how to win. That's like a playoff thing. That's dealing with the pressure uh, at the end of the season when it's when it's uh, do or die, when it's win or go home. Just getting into just getting another team's best shot and then losing game after game just means that they're better. The talent disparity is is too much, and everything that's necessary to get there is is what's shown over the first 40 minutes of the game. That's your talent level that you're actually earning, earning the other team going, all right, little brother, I'm going to, I'm going to D you up. And if you win, you're going to really earn this win. All those games they lost weren't them not knowing how to win. It's just, they're not as good as the other team. Yeah. They're not as good as the other team. And you look at the roster, they lost a guy like, and as as much as fans wanted to complain about DeMar DeRozan, he certainly had some issues, but he was a closer. He's absolutely the closer. He was the second highest score in crunch time last year. He had the third highest field goal percentage in crunch time last year. He was absolutely a closer. He led the NBA in isolation points per possession last season. Nobody on the Spurs does that. DeJounte Murray has been thrust into that role, and it's just not an ideal role for him when the game slows down and they don't have anybody else to give the ball to. So they're, you know, they're giving it to him. Yeah, exactly. You have to give him the ball. And whether or not it goes in, you know, that's that's another story. It hasn't gone in. I don't really expect it to continue to go in. He's not an elite ISO player, and there's just not very many of those guys. And the Spurs don't have a ton of top-end talent. And <laughs> unfortunately, they haven't won a ton of games. And let's talk about their, their upcoming schedule. We can talk about a few, a few other players later, but let's talk about their upcoming schedule. Right now, the San Antonio Spurs, they're 4-11. and And according to ESPN, they've played the easiest schedule in the NBA. Their next 10 games, I'm going to list to you here, and you just tell me how many of them you think they're going to win. They play the Suns, the Hawks, the Celtics, 
Wizards, Blazers, Warriors, Suns again, Knicks, Nuggets, and then the Nuggets one more time. How many of those games do they win, even getting back Jakob Pertl? Well, I mean, <laughs> they don't have Jakob Pertl back, <laughs> right? They don't, they don't have, have him we... fully back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, like, if he was healthy, I would say they win three or four of those games. Um, without him healthy, like, two, one or two, I know it's rough. I, I can't argue with that. I mean, for me, I think it's it's two, and I think for me, those games are probably the Celtics. Uh, they have a ton of top-end talent, but the, the role players aren't good. They're a little dysfunctional right now. They've got a first-year head coach in Ime Udoko who's still trying to figure things out. And I think maybe the Hawks, the Hawks have been rough this year, but they could turn it on just like the Timberwolves could turn it. on. I mean, they were an Eastern Conference finalist a year ago. So those to me, those are the two easiest games. And I put easy in quotes because they're not going to be easy. Almost no game in the NBA is easy. And well, so it's going to be a tough this, upcoming this 10 game schedule. stretch doesn't have anything that would that's screaming easy for sure. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it's going to be a tough next 10 game stretch for them. It eases, it eases up like on the back end of their schedule a little bit. But it's going to be a tough schedule, and I think one of the reasons it's been so tough is because we've seen guys who I think we expected to take big jumps, whether or not that was fair, like Lonnie Walker, maybe Keldon Johnson. Let's talk about them for a second. They're, they're, they're two guys who I think a lot of fans thought, okay, DeMar's gone, Patty's gone, Rudy's gone, Lamarcus Aldridge is gone. It's their year. What have you seen from them, and have they been a little bit of a disappointment, or, or are they producing like you thought they would? I saw some... So watching Keldon's development, uh, seeing the way that he's able to break off drives or at least change directions, he's not just straightforward all the time. I think and I, that, that excited me. I, I enjoyed seeing that at the beginning of the season. Love watching Keldon play, love his, love his energy. Uh, I, I think that the NBA is starting to build a scouting report on him from from the new things that he's learned over the summer. And that's why you're seeing maybe a little, a little bit of drop off. That's what I think if any, if anything is responsible for, uh, you know, the, the lack of him owning everyone uh, this year currently, then that, that that's the reason why. And like, he's a young, he's a young guy. You don't know what someone has until their go-to gets taken away. Do they just sit there? No, sit there. Does their game sit there and not progress? Or do you find a counter, right? I mean, when you, when you brought up uh, DeMar DeRozan the other day, like or earlier, <laughs> DeMar was, was phenomenal at bringing a great move. And when the, def and then when the defenders were able to stop that move, have a second move. And when they stopped that second move, he had a third move. But sometimes he went to move five or six and he was still <laughs> under control yeah. and balanced and able to elevate at the end of all those moves when this guy was finally out of position. Like metaphorically, that's the way that's the way that things things work uh, with 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 the game, the development of a game, but also in the development of, of moves, too. And I think Keldon's well within his the, the ability to do that. Just just the way that I, I've watched him progress. I expect to see that. And and when I say when the way I watch him progress, I think it's a, a perfect segue to talk to the talk about the other player that you brought up, which is Lonnie Walker the fourth. Which honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't see how you can say anything 
that that would be able to hide the level of disappointment that we had with them because I think I think the the biggest Lonnie Walker supporters at the beginning of the season before the season began were just like look now finally he's going to be able to have the space he needs and and he just hasn't done a whole lot with it myself I I think a guy is who he is after three or four years like you can't say like opportunity it's a it's a it's a really I mean it's a double-edged sword right you could say Absolutely. a guy doesn't have opportunity as soon as he gets the opportunity then it, it that needs to just completely disappear Lonnie's had uh, a lot of opportunities and he's taken some of them that Houston game uh two years ago that was like mind-blowing but like there's no, there hasn't been any consistency and guys go off, right? Guys go off. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to be relied on to go off. And that's the difference. Uh, if you're in the NBA, you're good enough to be able to go off sometime. And, and people do. I mean, right. Like remember the Goran Dragic game in the playoffs <laughs> with oh, man. Phoenix. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I've never forgotten that. No, I've never forgotten so, that. So game. guys go off in the league. Um, and it was years before uh, Goran was actually good enough on a day, a night in, night out basis for anybody to think that he, that kind of game would be possible from him. Uh, and so, and so coming back to Lonnie, um, he's he's a he's a solid NBA player. I think he'll I think he'll have. Uh, you know, he's got another three, four years in the league at least. But to, to sit there and wait for him to turn into the next Kawhi Leonard or the next amazing Spurs success story, I, I, I just don't see it. He's a he's a good rank and file player, but his athleticism isn't rank and file, but his his results are. Yeah. And one of the things that I've mentioned with Lonnie Walker over the last couple of years is I think sometimes we have a hard time distinguishing between skill and athleticism. Lonnie yeah. can get anywhere he wants. He gets to the to the rim more often than any other player, any other guard on the Spurs roster, but he finishes worse than any other Spurs guard on the roster. Yeah. He takes a bunch of mid-range shots because he can get there whenever he wants. He can rise up over the defense, doesn't knock them down at a good level. The only thing that I think has been an anomaly is his three-point shooting. I mm. looked into the numbers and I thought, man, this guy has missed a ton of wide-open threes, it, or at least it feels that way. Right now, as of this morning, he has the worst three-point percentage on wide-open threes, but he leads the team in wide-open three-point three attempts. And he's shooting <laughs> 25% on wide-open three-point three attempts. So last year, he shot almost... Uh, this year, it's uh, 31% right now. It's okay, not good. Not good. Yeah, it's not, not good. very good right now. And But last year, you, you look at his wide-open three-point attempts, it was almost 40%. So, you know, is this 25% indicative of what he's going to do all year? Is he going to get back to the 40% on wide-open threes like he was a year ago? Yeah, Maybe. It's 15 games, right? I don't right? know. Yeah, it's 15 yeah, games. It's 15 We're not 100% games. sure. And another number that I wanted to throw out there was for Keldon. Keldon is at his best when he's going to the rim, right? I think that's what most people would say, correct? Yeah. Keldon Johnson right now is shooting 25% below league average at the rim over yeah. his last four games. And if you took it just over the scope of a season, it's not as bad, but he's still shooting 12% below league average at the rim for the entire oh season. And the thing that I always think is really interesting with Keldon is everybody says it, right? Like his bread and butter is getting to the rim, finishing at the rim. Since he's come into the league, 
he has shot below league average every single season at the rim, except for his rookie year during the stretch in the bubble. And it's a lot below league average. It's not just like one or two. It's almost 10% below league average since he comes into the league. So I think he's going to have to do a better job adjusting once he gets to the rim, because it seems like he's a guy who, once he has his mind made up, you're not changing his mind. And Bruno, and and Bruno not, threw a really and cool not stat pass out there either. The <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bruno threw this out there the other day on Twitter. He said, uh, according to NBA stats, he has the lowest passing rate of any player who drives to the rim at least 10 times per game. Yeah. And the second worst player has made double the passes he has made. So I don't know what you do to change Keldon Johnson because he's not a guy who has a ton of wiggle off the dribble. He hasn't really knocked down. The, he's like he started the year eight for ten yeah. from mid range. Since then, he's only made eight. So Ooh. it's been really tough for Keldon. Now he's starting to hit the three ball, and hopefully everything starts going in the right direction. But like you said, once you take away what he's best at, he hasn't really adjusted, and I'm waiting for that. I hope that comes. But I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of these guys aren't necessarily in roles that are optimized for them. And I really believe, like, once you get that top-end talent, the guy who you can build around, whether that's free agency, most likely through the draft, in my opinion, uh, I I think everybody looks a little bit better because it's really hard to play when you're asked to do more than you're probably capable of. Oh, yeah. I'm like, if Keldon's long-term fit with the team is coming off the bench, and he's starting here as a young player, then of course he's going to get shut down by guys, right? Because he's he he's not at that level. But if he's our best guy at that spot currently, then he's going to be a starter, which means that, right? Like you said, with like we we've said this so often, <laughs> and I think people who who our fans for perennially un, uh, underperforming teams get used to get used to this kind of thought, but it's a little bit new as a Spurs fan. So everybody out there bear with <laughs> us as we, as we understand what, what it's about, but like guys in places with that really aren't built for them. That's, that's teams in the bottom. That's the bottom 10 teams in the NBA, Right. I mean, shoot, it was it was it was the story for the for the Spurs for a while. Like Gary Neal was our point guard for, for crying out <laughs> loud, right? I mean, like we 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 know what it's like, but it was a problem that generally got fixed in within the season or within a year or two. And this is a, our third year now of really dealing with uh, a string of guys playing, if not out of position, then out of role. Definitely. And, and I don't know that you're going to change that this year. There's not really a lot you can do. I know fans love to, to get the trade machine going and say, trade this guy or move this guy or sign DeMarcus Cousins. You know, like whoever they're going to sign or whoever they could possibly trade for, there's no quick fix. There really is no quick fix for this. And speaking of, of no quick fix, the, the Spurs have a, a game against the Suns here on Monday. I'm not sure that there's a quick fix to get them out of their four-game losing streak here. Now, I don't want to say it's an automatic loss, but the the Suns are on an 11-game winning streak. They've beat several playoff teams across this winning streak. If you're the San Antonio Spurs, what what are your keys to victory? Give me a couple of your keys to victory for that game. For the Spurs, I'll throw one of them out there when you're done. But what are your keys to victory? 
I got keys to not being embarrassed, really, right? <laughs> um, you hope as many guys as possible take the game off as a rest game. Uh, you hope you hope that like um, like somebody uh, somebody got some some bad shellfish the night before, right? And and um, I'm like, you don't ever hope for injury, right? But a little stomach upset, you know? I mean, like guys, you know, not everybody plays good with an upset tummy. I mean. Like you just look down up and down the roster. There's not there's not a key to I don't see a key to victory, right? This is this is a schedule. This is a loss as soon as you look at the schedule, right? How long can they hang with them? I'm I think it I think it's a moral victory. And um champ, championship teams may not have moral victories, but teams at the bottom of the standings do, right? If they can hang with the Suns and get and earn their best shot and lose a close game, or if they can even get into a clutch, you know, within five points in the last five minutes situation, then I think they've done well. Yeah. I mean, if they can keep it close, that would be great. And I think last year we felt that same way when they played the Suns, when they were super undermanned. And, and I think the Suns came out and they assumed that they were going to win. Right. And then Devin Vassell, he went off for a career high 19. Even Kendary Weatherspoon had a good game. Uh, we had several guys who don't usually play who, Played pretty well, and the Suns didn't play well. So I think one of my keys to the game was hope the other team underestimates you. Because largely the Spurs have come out every single night, and they've been competitive. Now, against the Timberwolves, they, they were down big early, right? They were down big early. They were able to close that deficit to eight. And then after that, it sort of fell apart, and it never was close again. But really, outside of that game and maybe the Pacers game where I thought, okay, the, the Pacers were shooting insanely well from three. You're not going to shoot 50% from three on most nights on that many attempts. It's not going to happen. The Spurs have been competitive outside of those games. So I think as long as the Spurs come prepared and perhaps the Suns do not, you have a good chance to win that game. I'm not saying that's going to happen, especially for a team that's on an 11-game winning streak that's pretty much putting everybody away. Seems like they are on a mission, kind of like the Spurs were when they lost in the 2013 finals. But we'll see. I'm not a super confident that they're going to win, and I think for me the last thing I want to talk about this game is DeAndre Aiden. He's played really well, former first overall pick. Who do the Spurs throw at him? Because we've seen Kristaps Porzingis, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Giannis go off against the Spurs, and even one of our one of our fan favorites, or maybe former fan favorites, Boban Marjanovic went off against the Spurs. So what what do you do against a guy like DeAndre Aiden? Is, is and is there anything you can do? Well, it's 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 like team defense right it's throwing different guys at him different looks at him making him making him think his way across the court across like through the possession you know possession after possession uh, mixing stuff up as much as possible because um it, it's certainly not going to be um by talent and like even even Jakob uh isn't at his best right now so there's there's not anybody they can throw at him to even like not not even that there is a DeAndre Ayton stopper in the league, but yeah, it's 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 all got to be you know based on you know subterfuge and confusion and um, maybe a little gamesmanship, right? Because otherwise, <laughs> I mean, you can you can expect you can expect DeAndre to do what DeAndre does, uh, you know, on Monday. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's a lot you can do to stop him. You can certainly try to. And I think even if you're successful, you've still got Chris Paul, you've still got Devin Booker, you've got a guy like Mikel Bridges who's continued to break out, and they have a plethora of good shooters. The Spurs haven't been the best three-point defense, so it's going to be a tough game for the Spurs. 
And I'd love to move on and instead of talk about this game that is coming up, talk about three stats. We do a weekly stats, uh, a little segment on here. And I just throw out three stats and you tell me what you think about them. So the first one is San Antonio is the bottom of the league in pull-up threes per game. And they're second to last in three-point percentage off of pull-up looks. And Steph Curry... Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, Shea Gilgis-Alexander are all taking and making more than the Spurs as a team. What does that tell you about the Spurs and maybe about what they need to find in the next couple of seasons? Well, I think the, I think the first thing it tells you about the Spurs is that the, the second stat informs the first, right? They're, they're the bottom of the league in pull-up threes because they're second to la- last in pull-up three percentage. They're not good at threes. What's more difficult than a three? A pull-up three. If you're not good at taking them when you're standing still, you're going to be even worse at them. Like it's the rare player that's actually better at pull-up threes than other. They exist, right? But across the board, you need if if you want to you want to <laughs> you want to simplify the shot as much as possible when it's not in your wheelhouse. So so the reason they're not taking pull-up threes is because they're having a hard time making them when they're when they're standing still, which means that they're trying to design situations where guys can take them standing still instead of taking an even lower percentage shot. I mean, like the, the fact that there are single guys and multiple single guys that are taking more more threes, more pull up threes than the Spurs take as a team is just I mean, it just well, I mean, it, it that also answers the question as well. Right. You need some three point specialists. Actually, no. You need guys who can shoot threes, and 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 like that be like one of the main portions of their game. So I wouldn't say specialists because, I mean, like McBuckets is a specialist, right? You need guys who can do everything and shoot threes as well. That's why Devin's so so important to the future of this team, because he's comfortable in every facet of the game, including shooting from behind the arc. Well, will he get there with pull-ups as, as well? I mean, I think that's something they're probably trying to add to his game. But I mean, it's just it's just unfortunate that that the Spurs have such a. It's not just that they have this weakness; it's the fact that it's such a glaring weakness because it's where the the league lives now. The league lives behind the arc on and and. Uh, since everybody knows that the defenses extend, which means that you have to take more off the dribble. Absolutely. This, this next stat that I'm going to tell you sort of, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I think it also sort of feeds into the type of player that you need. And I'm not saying you need a player who is a hundred percent selfish or that should have every shot in the game. But right now the Spurs run the fewest isolation plays in the NBA and no surprise. They are also the worst in the NBA in terms of efficiency on isolation plays do you think the same exact thing in terms of that's kind of a guy they need? They need someone who you can give the ball to and say, hey, go get me a bucket. And not just, you know, every once in a while, but you need to be able to do it somewhat efficiently. And it's not like this is like, like we're almost talking, <laughs> we're almost talking really, really basic stuff at this point, right? Um, if you're not good at something, then don't do it often. If you don't do it often, then you're probably not good at it. And so the percent, like the, the number of points you gain from those kinds of possessions is going to be lower. But you know what? No, it's not like guys who can, you can just give the ball to and say, get me a bucket, grow on trees either. 
right? Like that's what uh, tons of money and free agency is made from. That's what uh, top draft picks are spent on. So it's, it's like, it's not just the Spurs are looking for guys like that. Everyone in the league is looking for guys like that. And that's, uh, I mean, honestly, that's, that, that's the situation that the entire team's in, right? Yeah, and I think I and I and I did this very purposely. So the first two lead right into the last one. The Spurs are four and eleven right now. They have the third worst record in the Western Conference. And if they were in the Eastern Conference, they would have the worst record in the Eastern Conference. They now have the fourth best odds of winning the first overall pick. And I want to get your opinion. If you are the San Antonio Spurs, and you, we're not, we're not in the front office. They don't care what we think. But I love to give my opinion. You love to give your opinion. What are you doing for the rest of the season? Are you actively trying to win every single game? I think the answer should be yes. But do you want to end up with a bad record and get one of the top picks and have a shot at one of those players who's a franchise changer? Yeah. The, well, the answer there is always yes, and it's easy for fans, right? It's easy for fans to go, well, lose. Lose and just get the best record. I, I, think, I think there's way too many negatives that come from teams – doing that that they have to that they have to unlearn once they're trying to start winning i think you always try to win because the alternative is is a a complacency that you don't realize is there so yeah you push yeah you develop yeah you do everything you can to be the best possible team that you can so that so that even if you move from a starting position to a reserve position, even if you choose, move from from being the man to being a support to supporting cast for a star, then you're at least ready to do that at, at the highest level possible. And the only way that you do that is by never ever feeling like you're taking a game off. Right? What I was saying about pacing yourself earlier doesn't mean that you're taking a game or a play off. It means that you're going. that you are rising to the level that is required so that you've got something left in the tank for the fourth quarter. So you've got something left for the 80th, 81st, 82nd game, and then into the playoffs. So yeah, without a doubt, right? I mean, it's, it's, um, there's only one time that a team is happy. It has a bad record and that's when the season's over and it's draft night. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to see this team lose. I haven't enjoyed watching them lose, but I can't lie that I've enjoyed the way in which they've lost. If that makes sense, most of the games that they've lost, it is frustrating to see a, 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 a close loss, but it's not like they're not trying. And I think that's what I like most about this team is even though they're not winning games, man, they're trying. You can see Devin Vassell's trying, DeJounte Murray's trying, you can see Derek White's trying. Every especially, I mean, not especially, I mean, but you can tell like all these guys, they want to win. And I think for me, as long as they lose games, but they are trying to win and they have Greg Popovich and they have veterans and they have guys who have become veteran leaders like DeJounte, who can hold each other accountable. I'm okay with the losses. Now, it, it, does it suck to lose? Absolutely. It's never fun to lose. But I think you look historically for the Spurs, most of their guys are homegrown and, you know, Timmy was the first overall pick. David was the first overall pick. Sean was the third overall pick. You know, Kawhi, 15th overall. You got him from a a nice trade that you had to give up a fan favorite in George Hill. But those guys are so far and few between. 
and at the end of the year, if, if, if the Spurs have a poor record, but they try to win, I'll be happy. And, and I hope that's, that's the case for most fans because I don't want a lot of fans to think that this team is just bad and they're bad for, for no cause. Because I think that they're building towards something even if they're losing. Yeah, it's about the de- development. It's, a, it's about uh, the way that the, that the team uh, makes it through, right? This is this is not a this is not a season that's about the wins and losses. Um, this is about this is about a, you know, coming out of this thing, clo- you know, a tighter knit group than they are now, uh, with more experience, uh, with with more understanding of the game, being in different situations that they haven't before. So you just build that database of plays and games where you know, hey, look, this it, it, we're in a real tough spot right now, but I've been here before. And I know better what to do now than I did the first time. Absolutely. And I think that about wraps up everything I wanted to talk about with you. So thank you so much for coming on here. But before I let you go, let everybody know where they can find you on social media and where they can find your lovely work. And I think they probably know where to find your words, Pounding the Rock. But let everybody know where they can find your social there's media. There's this little, this little uh, Spurs <laughs> website we like to call Pounding the Rock. Please, please check it out. Um yeah, so it's uh, at Jolly Roger Wilco on Twitter. Um, it's it, and and honestly, if you're coming to PTR, then then you see it, right? Uh, it, it's a it, it speaks volumes to the the level of talent that that I'm that I'm I'm able to uh, to allow uh, people like Bruno and Marilyn and yourself and shoot. I mean, like if you haven't yet, guys. Uh, do yourself a favor and read one of Charlie Thaddeus's uh, "What We Learned" pieces, right? Um, but we've got some uh, we've got some stuff coming up here during the break that we've got planned. We've got a new mailbag starting, right? So I saw that uh, Devin, with Devin, yeah, yeah, Devin Birdsong and uh, uh, August Bimbel, uh, our our uh, our German correspondent, are uh, are are going to get together and and make that happen. Uh, so you know what? Find the find the mailbag and throw a comment there in there with a question, or you know send a send a send a tweet to the to the PTR main Twitter account uh, with the question that you've got surrounding uh, that you'd like to see answered in the mailbag. And again, thank you so much for joining me. This was an absolute blast. And thanks again for everyone who tuned into this episode of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock, including JR, who do an amazing job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.